This episode of the Football Fitness Federation podcast is with the Head of Physical Performance at Scunthorpe United, Adam Kerr. Adam joined us to talk about how to adapt to different regimes and understanding the role of sports science or strength conditioning in the coaching process. He also talked about some tricks he's used with players to develop buy-in and also how much of a beast Howard Webb is. Thanks to everyone who um, came up to us at the Soccer Science Conference and everyone that we were able to um, interact with. It was a great event, so congratulations to Reese Carr. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed, unfortunately, just the afternoon where I was able to make it. Um, some of the presentations were quality, and I know some of the feedback I got from the morning, it was great too, and uh, I know a lot of people enjoyed the Gary Neville talk. So a massive congratulations to Reese, and if you haven't been to the last couple of years at Soccer Science, I do fully recommend it. So keep an eye out for when next year's is released, because I, I do recommend that conference. There's plenty of great presentations and practitioners, and also just the the general chance to network with some quality, quality coaches. And we don't always get that time to grab a coffee and have a chat. And it was great to catch up with a number of different people there. So it was great. Um, it was a great event overall. I'm just disappointed I missed the morning, but I know a lot of people were there. We're only a few days away now from our next network meeting. So we're down in Southampton this Friday, which is the 28th of June. So Mark Armitage is going to be running the meeting. Um, Chris Neville is going to be presenting and it's all going to be based around pre-season so we're down at Southampton at Solent University there are still tickets available so you can go to our website footballfitfed.com and grab your ticket um, there are a few places available and the, the uh, university, the campus looks amazing so I know Chris is going to try and include a tour of the university as well so you get to see all the facilities they've got down there which look amazing but in the meantime, I hope you enjoy this episode of the podcast with Adam. Welcome to episode 35 of the Football Fitness Federation podcast. Today, I'm joined by Adam Kerr. Adam is the head of physical performance at Scunthorpe United. How's it in sunny Scunny, Adam? <laughs> Not too sunny and Scunny at the minute, mate. Um, but all good. Just enjoying a little bit of downtime before it all kicks off again. So, yeah, all good, mate. It's that sort of time of year at the moment, isn't it? We're heading into a busy pre-season period. Yeah, definitely. Um, obviously, a few changes for us over the summer. So, um, trying to get as prepared as we can and ready to go. Equipment ordered, supplements ordered, you know, everything ready to go. So, yeah, looking forward to it. And I forgot to mention at the start, obviously a previous host of one of our network meetings, which is more importantly, should have put that in first, really. So we are going to cover a little bit of what you spoke about on the meeting for anyone that wasn't there, as well as plenty of other stuff. But do you want to kick us off with your background, um, previous clubs, and take us up to your current role? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, obviously, like you said, the, the network meeting, brilliant. I think, you know, it was, a, it was, it's great. It's great what you're doing with them and, and this. So first of all, thank you so much for having me on. Um, it's a real pleasure to be here, but um, I suppose the start for me was, um, you know, failed footballer, tried to, to play at a decent enough level. Um, I suppose it was all right. Six foot two centre half, um, not too bad, but, 
you know, I, I went on to to kind of do um, the non-traditional route of not going through my A-levels and stuff and actually thought I wanted to work in sport early doors. So did a BTEC National Diploma um, in sports science, then um, went off to Liverpool, John Moores University, 2003, did my three years there, um, sports science degree. Um, actually did my dissertation, my undergrad dissertation in golf. I'm a big golfer, big golf fan. So um, so did that on, on the biomechanics of, uh, of golf. Um, then on to Sheffield Hallam University for my master's. Um, obviously was there for, for the year. Uh, that was a more in strength and conditioning, 2007. And then after that was lucky enough um, to get a job assisting um, the academy sports scientist at Sheffield United, Mikey Watts, um, so who's off now in America, but was assistant to him for a year. Um, at the same time, was a Cast Tigers rugby league strength and conditioning coach with uh, Kev Till, um, and it was all really through Dean Riddle, who was the kind of head of performance there at Sheffield United, um, and you know who's been a massive help to me. Um, over the years um, then I went on to work for the, the dark side of the football game with the referees at the PGMOL I was there sports scientist um, for probably just almost two and a half years seen some some big things work with uh, some big big names in the refereeing world I should say um, lucky enough to work with Howard Webb when he was the joint Champions League final and World Cup final referee, which was a great experience. Um, and I suppose during probably alongside all of these, I was a sports science lecturer for the uh, Professional Golfers Association, the PGA. Um, used to go to the Belfry for a week at the time, um, teaching the kind of new PGA professionals or the kind of the learning PGA professionals, the sports science side of the game. And probably helped a lot with my understanding of, of how different sports and probably how a, a very new field could influence uh, what was going on. Um, and then was lucky, really, I suppose, my first full-time role in um, strength and conditioning and football was at Middlesbrough. Um, I was there in 2011, lead strength and conditioning coach, first team and, and 23s um, had a season there before going down to Arsenal as academy sports scientist um, that was obviously a big move living up in Leeds back to London where I uh, near where I'm from um, so I had a year there Des Ryan came into post when I was there so that was a great experience another great mentor alongside Dean like I mentioned earlier um, and then after my year there, it was actually asked to go back to Middlesbrough as their head of fitness. So kind of taking charge of all of um, the physical development, athletic development, sports science of the first team there. Um, lasted just over four years there. A playoff final, promotion to a prem the Premier League, a relegation from the Premier League. Um, and then onto my now current role as head of physical performance at Scunthorpe United. Um, you know, and I've had two seasons there now, just, uh, yeah, two seasons, almost two years, but um, kind of brings us up to date with where we are now. And one main question that pops out from that, Adam, 
How much of a monster is Howard Webb? <laughs> uh, yes, he is. He was. He was a big, big gym monkey, and actually, to be fair, one of the nicest guys you'd ever meet. Um, so very difficult to see him get some of the flack he did for that uh, the World Cup final, actually. But uh, a monster, uh, a good, good guy as well, but uh, and an absolute pleasure to work with. To be fair, yeah. I suppose it's a forgotten area of football, isn't it? That these officials have to be so highly trained to deal with the demands of the game. We talk about the players all the time, forget about the officials. Yeah, I mean, it was it was a, a real, real good experience. I mean, you, you do. I didn't really, you know, taking the job, it was a bit like, what's it going to be like, referees? and um, But they do. They cover just as much distance as the players and um, you know the change of direction profile is obviously a little bit less or a considerable amount less but the actual distances they cover and the speeds they cover and to make the decisions which are now even more kind of um, critiqued on, on television and radio and whatever it, you know they are actually very very impressive especially in that top league and you know I know it's kind of moved on with them becoming more professional down the leagues towards down the leagues and the linesmen and the assistant referees should I say but you know they, they they do work very very hard you know especially considering that some of them have got pretty tough full-time jobs on top of what they what they do with the referee stuff so, so yeah very interesting uh, world to be part of and you know I'd like to say it probably gives me some little advantages in uh, in the game, though, from the referees, but it doesn't seem to have uh, done that so far. But who knows in the future? <laughs> That's got to come back and help you out at some point, surely. <laughs> You'd like to think so, wouldn't you? <laughs> so what I wanted to start with, mate, is a, a big part of, of the meeting. And like I say, anyone that was there would know about this, but if they weren't, we're going to cover a little bit of it now. So... A phrase you used in the meeting was every day is a school day. And it was it was learning from every situation that you've been in and, and taking things from a lot of the things you get exposed from. So do you just want to discuss that a little bit? Where do you now learn? Um, what, what resources do you use? And how do you go about that? Um, I mean, if you ask my wife, she thinks I'm a bit boring because rather than sitting uh, on the sofa or in bed and watching Love Island and whatever, I'm, I actually tend to read journal articles and stuff on my phone, uh, which maybe probably keeps her happy because she can watch what she wants on TV, really. Um, but, you know, from, from everywhere and anywhere as much as I can, um, I, I suppose we've got a couple of good WhatsApp groups with people that I've worked with previously that just the other day we were talking about... Um, you know, I kind of posed the question of when we would do um, max velocity runs in a week, depending on a training week. And, you know, just to kind of reach out to people that you've worked with in a, in a group discussion like that. Uh, podcast, this podcast, I've listened to everyone. Um, you know, the network meeting, just, you know, trying to pick everybody in anybody's brains. Um, you know, I mentioned Dean, uh, Dean Riddle and, and Des, still try and keep in contact with as many of those kind of people as possible, which kind of does get harder as you kind of move, I suppose, further away from being in that role. But, you know, I suppose they're important little things. Going to the UKCA conference, I'll be there this weekend. Um, you know, everything and anything, um, really. But but actually, you know, use trying to use them as learning uh, 
scenarios is important because you can experience them. And um, I think I remember one one coach talking about uh, experiences and kind of 20 years experience, but if it's one year experience 20 times and it's not necessarily a learning experience and, you know, trying to, to do things differently or, or, or kind of, you know, look at what you've done and, and what's happened and, and uh, review your, your kind of seasons and weeks and days. And I suppose if you ask my assistant at the minute, Scott Johnson, you know, we try and review everything every day um, you know, with, with what's gone good, what's gone bad, you know, indifferent, but, you know, actually just trying to use them all as learning experiences and, you know, everything and anything, I suppose. And I know it's something you're going through at the moment, which is what we were, we were going to discuss on the podcast was your role under different regimes, different coaches, uh, different managers, and how you adapt to that. But I suppose the first question is, when a new manager comes in, what are some of the first things that you uh, want answers from? What do you want to know? Um, yeah, it's, I suppose what they think sports science is and what they think that a person like me, like us, can provide to them, really. Um, you know, I've, I've worked under a fair few different managers now and I've probably made the mistake of not actually asking before. Um, and, you know, I, I do feel that I've learned from that to try and sit down and, and say, you know, what, what do you want? What do you expect? What do you expect from me? And, um, you know, what do you think it is that we do? Because I suppose we all probably treat our roles slightly differently um, in where our kind of expertise are, where our research kind of interests lie. Um, I suppose it's where we can help. You know, I'm, I'm very big on this kind of we are support staff and, um, you know, not, I suppose it's the wrong way to put it, but not getting above our station really. You know, I don't want to be the manager. Um, I want to help the manager get the best out of the players for a performance on Saturday. And that isn't to satisfy my own ego of, of these amazing course spreadsheets that I've made and, um, these fancy, you know, gym programs. Ultimately, we are there to support the manager, um, you know, with what he wants to do with the players on a, on a weekend, on a Saturday at three o'clock. Um, so I suppose I, I like to try and get an understanding of who the manager is, what his kind of, um, what his personality is really, I suppose, you know, worked under one manager who plays a thousand league games. So, you know, I kind of straight away know he wants all his players to be robust or he thinks all his players should be robust. So I suppose trying to dig a little deeper into the manager, who he is, his style of play, um, find all that out first, which probably puts you on a, on a good page that they, that they think that you're interested in them as much as, you know, I'm interested in what I want to do. Because ultimately, it's about supporting him. Um, so yeah, I, I suppose that really finding out more about them, how they want to do things, how they want to train, and then kind of suppose looking at how we can best support that process from there, rather than anything of actually what I want to do. I think it was Tom Little who mentioned in his podcast about the like the phrase performance coach, and he he sees the performance coach as being the manager because they're in charge of performance at the end of the day. So yeah, I think that's yeah. how that, doesn't it? That we're, we're support staff, not not the manager. Yeah, 
Definitely. And, and I do think that that, uh, that, I mean, that is something that I've seen issues with, you know, when probably younger or not necessarily just younger, but other kind of people in our field, you know, they, they're desperate to get what they want done. And that's the most important thing where it actually isn't. If, if the manager is, you know, getting a good level of training intensity with a decent kind of manipulated volume um, and we get an opportunity to do some work with them to kind of make them robust. If they're not getting injuries and we're winning, I suppose we're doing our job to a certain extent. What, what else do we really need to do? So I suppose it's just adding to the manager's kind of philosophy as opposed to having our own philosophy that we want to instill on a manager, if that makes sense. Do you think that's like the biggest mistake made by coaches or even maybe even yourself previously in, with the coaching process? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Without kind of, I suppose I'm in, I'm in a difficult situation. We've, at the minute, we've had a manager that's just come in. So I've never seen a training session he's done. So, um, but previously, I've always tried to, well, not always, but because I've learned to always now try and observe what that manager does and how he wants this thing set up before you start making drastic kind of um, suggestions. Because, you know, again, ultimately we are there to support and, and, and I think add bits to the programme where we think we can add value rather than to say you need to do this, you need to do that. I don't think it puts us on a good kind of initial footing with, with anybody if you're always going to impart what you think's best. They may already do that, one, without knowing it, or two, that they, well, yeah, that's exactly what, what we're going to do. So, yeah, definitely, it's definitely a mistake I've made um, before. And, you know, one that I've probably learned to try and avoid making, but you probably have to ask the manager and the coach that I've worked with whether I've uh, <laughs> not made that mistake since. But, yeah. I think that's, uh, a lot of the time I think that causes just, that's just a collision course, isn't it, with the manager, that if you are trying to push things and they're trying to push their philosophy, in, which is essentially the most important, if, you're, if you overly push the things you want to try and get in. You have to become adaptive, don't you? You've got to become flexible and, and work with them. Yeah, definitely. I think adaptability is the biggest um, kind of uh, skill that you can that you can develop as a, as a practitioner in this field. You know, I, I was speaking to um, somebody last season and, and I suppose it is with contractual issues and that kind of stuff, you want to go and impress the new manager and tell him how good you are and tell him what you can do. Um, that for me, in my opinion, that probably could be a little bit of a mistake and actually just, you know, probably win them over with uh, a relationship and kind of adapt to what they want to do and, and, you know, slowly get things in place and rather than try to prove all your worth, because sometimes I think that can backfire really. There was a big question that you asked the coaches at the network meeting, wasn't it? In terms of the players, um, the favourite or the, or the best SSC coach that they've worked with. Yeah. Do you want to couple what you what, what you went into with that? Yeah, I mean, I suppose that I, I actually did it. I did it in in this current role uh, when I first got there. Was you know ask the players what makes a good SSC coach, what makes a good fitness coach, um, and probably surprisingly to some but I suppose unsurprisingly to probably the more experienced ones it wasn't the one who made them the, the quickest fastest strongest biggest most ripped for their holidays it was probably the one they liked the most um, and 
you know, I don't, <laughs> I'm not saying that we should just go and try and be liked, um, but, you know, developing those relationships to get them to do what you want is, is key for me and probably how I approach um, my kind of support work. It, you know, it's the same probably for the, for the managers and coaches as, as well as it is for the players. You know, you don't have to have the most groundbreaking um, programme if you can get good basics done consistently and when things are good, when things are bad, um, without probably giving them too many surprises. I think, you know, they'll do the work for you. And I think that's probably why most players think their best one is actually the one that they probably like the most, but then really probably listen to the most. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I cringe sometimes looking at some really, really clever like practitioners, but when they speak... You just can't imagine them going into a changing room or, or being in the gym or out on a pitch with players and players actually buying into what they're saying just because of the way they put it across. So that side of things is, is a really, arguably more important in some situations, isn't it? Oh, definitely. Because I, I think of probably the sports science I learn on an undergrad and then master's degree and then UKCA accreditation, all that kind of stuff that you go through, all the kind of the learning... Um, you probably use, I don't know, 10, 15% of your actual sports science knowledge. Um, whereas actually the, the application and kind of getting people to do it, you know, we're not, or, or I'm, I'm not in a role where people pay to come and see me. I'm paid by their employers. So you have to get them on board to, to want to do what you want them to do because they don't pay you for it. So technically don't have to do it other than face the, the fines and the wrath of the manager or whatever else it is. But, you know, you basically just have to get them to buy into it. So I'd probably prefer them to get them to buy into the basics done consistently than kind of some fancy program that you've written for them and to not do it. It's a waste of your own time, really, as much as anything when you can just kind of get good basics, you know, done consistently. And you, you mentioned before about the importance of being adaptable and flexible. So have you got some examples of where you've worked with players or managers, probably more managers to be fair, where you've had to adapt your philosophy to get over the message or get over your message? Yeah, I mean, I'd probably say I've never worked with a manager or a coach where I haven't had to adapt. Um, and I've, I suppose I've looked at many times over the years of, you know, you sat in your office on a... I don't know, Thursday afternoon in February or whatever, and you always think, and I always think, I've, I've almost never seen anything through a full season in terms of, um, you know, a monitoring, a, a way of monitoring, a way of looking at training, a way of um, implementing gym work. One, because maybe the managers change or, or, you know, situations have changed with players. But two, because my kind of, again, my philosophy is to add value to what we're already doing. So I'm always trying to look for what we're not achieving as a, as a kind of, as a coaching process or what we're not doing in our sessions, you know. So by looking at that, you have to see what we are doing. Are we getting enough intensity into training? Are we getting enough volume into training? You know, are we getting enough... Um, max you know effort sprints uh, are we getting kind of um 
you know, so, so it all kind of is very, very dependent on what we're doing at the time. So, yeah, I can have the greatest philosophy that we need to achieve um, 50% of match intensity in every uh, every session, every every day, or we need to achieve five and a half thousand metres of, of total distance on a Tuesday when we've got a Saturday game or, or whatever it is. But, you know, I don't see the value in giving that to the manager or the coach if that's what we're already doing. So I'd prefer to kind of, you know, always be challenging them to say, right, what else can we add? What, what are we not doing that we can that we can fit into the program that can work and, or what are we doing that we don't need to be doing in the program? What are we doing too much of? What's kind of a waste of time, resources, effort. So, um, yeah, I suppose everything for me is being adaptable and having worked under a fair different few managers now, I don't think I've probably used the same, um, reporting form or, anything with more than one manager because it's very very particular to them one manager might like it might be the same information but it might be done in graphs it might be done in you know group averages it might be done in you know I don't know anything really it, it can be in tables it can be anything um, so it's it's been adapted to everything your philosophy your presenting method um, yeah I, I probably haven't in fact I definitely haven't used the same kind of format of, of reporting to, the, to any of the managers that I've worked with. Do you think that's one of the biggest changes across your career so far, Adam, that, you, that you've made is the fact that you've realised that it, that, that reporting or that, um, that discussion with the manager can take place in different ways and you can present it in different ways to different people or is there, is there any other big changes that you've made? No, definitely. I, I would say... Um, who was it I think it was Paul Bauer who said it about it you kind of like um, your corridor coaching and stuff like that you know uh, there are certain times where I've been lucky enough to be um, my office was in the coaches room so I had lots of opportunities there to sit with the assistant manager the first team coach the goalkeeping coach the analyst and myself in an office so you'd have all afternoon and every morning where you could discuss discuss training and the reports and the outcomes of um, your internal external loads of training and you could probably get into some quite in-depth information but possibly with the manager I might got I've got five minutes on the training pitch so I think that there are you have to make your own opportunities I've definitely stood in offices for half an hour, 45 minutes and felt awkward as anything um, listening and saying nothing and I'm sure tons of coaches and managers thought what is Adam doing there stood around doing nothing but I'm, you know, you're almost just waiting for that opportunity to add that little bit of something which then the next week, the next month maybe Adam what do you think of that? So it was you know I, I do think that that kind of um, process of, of where you can find your, your time to to give the information that we have is very different. Some managers will want it every morning, every afternoon, in a report, in an hour conversation, which is brilliant, um, but can equally be bad because you're missing out on a lot of other kind of interaction with other staff, other uh, the players and whatever else it is. Um, and you've also, when you get five minutes on a training pitch or walking 
back in from the training pitch, um, you've kind of got a, you've got five minutes, you need to think of what do I need to say now? You've kind of almost, you spend the whole morning of training session kind of thinking, what can I narrow down into my one or two sentences that's going to be the most important thing to get to that manager? And if you get that wrong, you've got not got another 24 hours and he might not even ask you the next day because he thought what you said that day was, was pretty rubbish. So, uh, yeah. Well, I suppose it's like the, the manager going into a half-time team talk, isn't it? Like That's the same sort of analogy, I suppose, in a way. Yeah, yeah and you're having to constantly do that throughout a week. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I think that, yeah, you're right. I've never thought of it like that, but it probably is that. Make all these notes on the touchline in the first half and everything they wanted to say and, you know, yeah, you've, you've kind of got that 10 minutes of, of time to make an impact and that's exactly it. You know, what can you say in your one minute, two minutes, 10 page report to make the most amount of impact to help influence. And it's not saying things for the sake of fact, saying things. It's, you know, what, I suppose, looking at a hierarchy of what's the most important thing that you need to say that day um, rather than just filling it out with probably something that you can just live with because we've all got yeah. to do that. Yeah. I watched a great video, actually. I'll try and link it in. Um, of, and I don't know if... It, you follow boxing or any of the guys follow boxing, but um, Ben Davison, who's Tyson Fury's coach, there's a video of him going around on Twitter and he, it's when he's fighting and he's just constantly using little snippets and he, he's basically essentially, co- oh, sorry, it's not um, Tyson Fury, it's Billy Joe Saunders when he's, when he's fighting, but he is Fury's coach as well. And he just uses little snippets and it's a great thing to watch because he never overcomplicates anything. Yeah. It's all probably one or two, maximum three words but he yeah. gets the point every single time. It's amazing to watch. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, you know, I suppose that that's probably a good thing for, you know, younger practitioners and, and older practitioners to do is to try and limit what you're going to say to get your message across. And I can ramble on. I'm, I'm, I'm rambling on now. Like I, I do like to talk about these kind of things. I get kind of passionate and excited about it all. But, you know, I think it's it's a real... It's a real art to be able to be concise with your message, especially to the people that you need to be concise with. You, you might not get many opportunities. You may get loads, but you might not get many. Um, so we need to make an impact if we can. Yeah, that's true. And then the other thing I wanted to go into, Adam, is, and I've, I've sort of written it down as like tricks that you use with players, but I don't know if that's the right word or not. I think it's just... A lot of the stuff you've already discussed, building in relationships, working with players, getting the most out of players, and then knowing each individual sort of character as well. But I'll use tricks because it sort of works with the question. But <laughs> what tricks have you used with players that have worked to get player buying in certain situations? Um, yeah, I think tricks is a good word because, uh, yeah, you definitely do have to try and trick them. I mean, like you said, your relationship is important with them to be able to use your tricks. Um, I suppose probably one of my favourite ones um, is, you know, you sit on the line, you're going to do some box-to-box runs and, oh, Adam, how many are we going to do today? Oh, you're going to do eight, right? I said, yeah, okay. But if you do six, then if you do six properly, then, then we'll... Uh, then we'll, we'll let you do six and they, and they set off and they do the first six right. They look at you and say, yeah, well done, boys. You know, that'll do you. See you tomorrow type thing. They're only ever going to do six, you know, but because you've told them eight, um, they, they walk off and I don't think they think you're the best thing ever, but, uh, you know, they, they, you get a little bit of respect for that. Um, 
I mean, it probably most of it relates to that, the things that they don't want to do post match uh, running. Really, um, you know, are we doing post match running? You know, the amount of times you sat on the bench and he's seventy minutes into a game and, and the, the the bench looks over to you and says, and are we uh, are we running after the game today? We can just concentrate on the game, and I'll tell you afterwards. Uh, you know, we always do it, but you always get it, and they always kind of ask the question, but. You know, you kind of yeah, we are doing yeah, we are doing. You get in the dressing room, you've you've had a good win or whatever else the situation is, and the manager looks over to you and says, uh, "Right, do whatever you need to do," and then you kind of get like puppy dog look eye eyes look from the from the bench, saying, oh, "All right, boys, get yourselves changed, get yourselves ready." I mean, the plan was never to do any post match running that day, but you know, they're they're little tricks that's probably that that I use, and you know. Hope, hope no players will listen to this, which I'm pretty sure they won't. But uh, yeah, they'll they'll know all the tricks now. But um, yeah, little things like that, I suppose, just just to get that extra little buy-in um, alongside the kind of relationships you've built with them is, uh, you know, I like that. I suppose that's probably the way I coach. I'm probably um, not relaxed. I'm, probably, I'm not a sergeant major type coach, but I try to to win people over with you know the reasons why and um, why we're doing something and, and how it fits into the programme as opposed to just telling them they have to do it um, and I suppose that that's probably not a trick as such but you know that, that probably what works for me and, and maybe my personality other people will be different and it will work for them but but yeah there's a few little things you can do to, to, get, them, to get them on side I think they're really important also to work with players and like you'll you'll know obviously better than a lot of people that that changing room can be a can be a bit of a scary place sometimes when you don't have them on side. So that sort of thing works a treat, doesn't it, with players because you do get that buy-in. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I have definitely asked for the players to come out and do the running and and had the <laughs> yeah the the niceties not said um, and and kind of told to 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 do one basically. They've actually still always, I've never had anybody not turn up to do any of the runs that I've asked them to do. So that probably says something. But, you know, definitely people don't want to do it at times. And, uh, you know, we just spoke about it before with Peter Crouch's fitness episode and saying it's a very dark place at times. And it, and it is, it definitely is. It's not only a dark place for the players, it's definitely a dark place for the fitness coach because, you know, none of, none of them want to be there. Um, but yeah, I think they are massive skills and because it can be if you're going to be in an environment you know a team that's you know struggling or whatever or, or a player that you know you may have a team that's doing very well and a player that's not playing and is not very happy trying to get them to do something that they don't want to do can be a pretty daunting thing to have to think about especially a player that has played x number of games and you know, international caps, I, I actually remember I got asked by the manager to not travel to one game because he was leaving a player out of the squad. Um, and he didn't want to leave it to one of the junior members of staff to have to deal with on a Saturday morning. So I actually had to forgo my match day duties to try and keep one player on side for that for that one week, which was, uh, you know, pretty, pretty daunting really. But, um, you know, we got the session done and... Uh, yeah, we're probably, we probably we do still speak now. But I don't know if he speaks to the manager now. I don't know, but <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, your job. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, it can be very daunting, you know, with, with players that you know, as much as anything, we've idolised and looked up to, and watching and being fans of football that you kind of, you know, you're then lucky enough to to work with, or you know, um, it can it can be difficult. Um, yeah. 
So what's the plans for the next few weeks? Man? How long? How much longer have you got um, away from? Well, when are you back? When are you back pre-season? So we we start back on the 24th of June. The staff will be back on the 24th of June, and then we have the players back on the 26th, um, and then you know straight back into it. We're uh, we've got a nice little um, training camp in La Manga, um, which will be good for a week. That starts at the end of the first week. Um, yeah, so you know straight back at it. Really, almost the end of. The six weeks fly by. Got a nice little holiday with, uh, with with my wife before before we go back, which we're looking forward to. Um, but yeah, ready to crack on now. Excited for the new season and you know working with a new a new manager, a new set of staff, and you know some new players. Um, obviously, back with the squad from from last season, and, and hopefully trying to be uh, a successful season. Yeah. Amazing, mate. Well, I really appreciate you giving up your time out of season as well. So I'm dragging you in to talk about work out of season, which uh, we could have we could have put it in season for you, couldn't we? But I really appreciate it, and uh, hope you have a good holiday. Yes, thank you very much. And uh, yeah, UKSC conference this weekend, so not quite out of hol- on holiday mode, still in a slight work mode. So yeah, yeah, thank you very much. I really appreciate it, and I uh, wish you the best of luck for next season, Adam, as well. Cheers, top man. Thank you very much. Cheers, mate. It was great to chat with Adam again. Adam was actually a host of one of our network meetings at Scunthorpe um, not long ago, and it was great to catch up with him again. He was as soon as I saw him, it was the first time I met him at the network meeting. But it was you can tell how, how good a practitioner he is, and it was great to have him on the podcast and talk through everything he spoke through. I think my biggest takeaways of it were. Um, when he talked about what the gaffer thinks sports science is, so getting that understanding from the manager, um, I think that's key to building the relationships and carrying out the roles that the manager wants you to do and sees you sees is important that you do. The importance of adaptability within a program, which I know a few people have spoke about before on previous episodes. And then also the title of the episode, What Makes a Good Fitness Coach?, so we put that out at our network meeting um, and it was interesting to get the opinions of what coaches think that players um, or what traits players look for in a so-called good fitness coach. Um, so it was a good discussion that and you can, it is available in our community, that, that full presentation that Adam did for us at, at Scumfort. You can follow Adam and everything that he's up to. He's on Twitter at ads so a d z care which is k e double r so you can catch up with him there and um it's great to again it was great to see everyone at soccer science like i mentioned at the start of the episode and i hope to see as many people at our upcoming network meetings as possible we're at southampton this friday the 28th and then we're down at Leighton Orient on the 12th of July. And we're very close as well to confirming the next meeting after that, which you Northerners out there will be happy to hear. It's not past uh, down past the Midlands. So we are going to be in the North. Um, but as soon as we've got all the information together with that, we will be putting that out there. And we also um, are in negotiations at the moment with a few other people to try and confirm a few extra dates of the network meeting. So keep an eye out on all social media for that. We're at Football Fit Fed on Twitter and Instagram. And you can drop us an email and give us any feedback on the podcast, mail at footballfitfed.com. Thank you very much again for listening and we'll speak to you again next week.